0: Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Rasinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial. 103.9 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we ask you to please download the Veritas Catholic Network radio mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. Of course, if you want to share your thoughts about our station, not just Joe and Joe, you could go on VeritasCatholic.com veritascatholic.com there'll be a place for you there to provide some feedback if you like and of course we value that and finally if you like to follow joe and i on our social media you can follow us at the frontline tv on youtube the frontline tv on youtube or the frontline with joe and joe on youtube and today we're very pleased and honored to be talking with adam Bly, uh and we're going to be discussing his new book the exorcism files True stories of demonic possession. And no, it's not going to be like, you know, crazy, like some Hollywood movie. And we'll get into that too. Okay. This is, and all, all Catholics who, who hear us right now know, uh, demonic possession is a real thing. And Adam wrote a book on it, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. Um, I just want to uh give Adam a brief introduction. Adam Bly, a layman, is a paratus, a church decreed expert is what that means in religious demonology and exorcism from the diocese of pittsburgh pennsylvania he's also served as an an expert in these areas in training priests deacons and laity uh, in many other dioceses. he's an auxiliary member of the international association of exorcists of vatican recognized private association of the christian faithful based in rome over 15 years of working and training in the exorcism ministry he's witnessed or experienced a number of miracles some of which uh he has been appointed to investigate by the church he also works in the tribunal uh, the tribunal of the pittsburgh diocese and is pursuing a canon law degree adam Bly, welcome back to the front line with joe and joe brother hey thanks guys it's great to be here Great to have you.
2: Adam, we're going to begin with the prayer. We always start with the prayer. Uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, o most Gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, virgin, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. And before we get into the book, um, you know, this is an interesting subject, I think. We've talked to a number of people on exorcisms, on The Demonic. We talked to Father Lambert. You're probably familiar with him. We've spoken with uh, the head of sales at Ignatius Press talking about a book that uh, Father Gabriel Mort, with his relationship with Padre Pio, we discussed um, The Demonic uh, in that particular conversation. We've talked to Jesse Romero. He's a layperson, but he's not you. You see, you're a lay person who's trained. I mean, not that Jesse isn't, we love Jesse, but you are schooled in this. How does a lay person get involved in this? I'm this, it,
1: It's very unique to be honest with you. How did he get involved? So the short answer, Joe, is um, God pulled me into it, but the long answer is it started with brainwave research and psychology. So I was in graduate school uh, pursuing adult clinical psychology i um, ABD, all but dissertation for that. Remember my committee had an issue uh, with this work, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Uh, that's a long story. So I was pursuing clinical psych and the paranormal craze was just starting and i was curious whether any of these strange things people were reporting, you know, supposed ghosts and other, you know, problems, people being scratched or bit or seeing ghosts and that kind of thing, whether it was real or an artifact of the brain. and so i wanted to go out and meet these people, interview them for myself, which i did. bumped into some specialized clergy who were working in this area and got asked by the Pittsburgh Diocese to kind of more psychologically look at a family they had been trying to help for many years. And that led to meeting more people. And then I bumped into a possessed person on a house case, realized that that was not psychology. Uh, it didn't look like psychology, didn't respond to anything that I was used to doing. Uh, the person didn't look mentally ill or psychiatrically uh, impaired. So that was interesting. And then I was uh, introduced to an exorcist and went to visit him. and. He had a one serious case ongoing for many years, and he invited me to come sit in on a session. And that's the first time I saw full-blown exorcism, and that was an eye-opener. And uh, there was a priest consulting on that case, Father James LeBar, who was kind of the de facto head exorcist for the United States in his generation. There was no real formal head of it, but he knew everybody, and he was the most well-known in the country at the time. And his buddy, Dr. Rich Gallagher, good friend of mine now is a psychiatrist from New York there. Uh, He was on the governing board of the International Association of Exorcists. And he invited me to come over and join the association to learn more. So I got to learn from Father Amorth, who was the founder of that organization, plus some of the older, other old guys in Rome who had 40, 50 years under their belt. And that's really, if you're gonna learn, really, those are the people you, you, don't need to talk to, but it's good to at least hear from them. Um, Everybody here in the States, you know, by comparison are beginners. Uh, But we do we do our best here. And so it just kept snowballing from there. Uh, these unusual doors kept opening, even though I'm a layperson, I can't do exorcisms. But by now, you know, over the years, I've been at so many hundreds and hundreds of solemn exorcisms. Um, and I've been asked by various bishops and seminaries to teach seminarians and priests in many dioceses at this point. I've taught at national conferences for over a decade. Um, and it just, I thought it would end, guys. I thought, well, now we've trained up a few hundred exorcists, you know, they won't need me anymore. Um, And this oddball layperson, you know, so involved in this would just go away, but actually it's the opposite. Um, There's more training to do in every generation uh, of priests that come up. We've got some really great young guys coming up right now. Uh, Most of them you're never going to hear about in the media, of course, you know, it's, it's like 10% or 5%, are you ever going to hear their names? Uh, So yeah, that's kind of the notes.
0: Thank you for that, Adam. Adam Bligh is joining us here at the front line with Joe. And Joe, we're discussing his new book, *The Exorcism Files: True Stories of Demonic Possession* on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm glad you 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 mentioned something I want to get into for a second, Adam, because um, obviously the the the, um, the the preconceived notion about a conversation like this, people automatically get in their mind uh, the the novel by William Peter Blatty, subsequently made into a movie by uh, William Friedkin, directed the picture. And it's a great picture. Don't get me wrong. Okay, but one thing, I, reason why I'm bringing it up is there's a lot of misconceptions. If people actually watch that movie, they would get a little bit, you know, rather than focus on all the all the theatrics. Okay, they would see. The Catholic Church is the first organization to doubt whether or not a person is demonically possessed. You mentioned psychiatry and psychology. The 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 fact that anybody who makes a claim of possession or anybody making a claim on their behalf, immediately they're told by the church we need to need to examine this person to see if they're suffering from mental illness, they they, they make sure that uh, that this is not you know that we're not talking about somebody who's, who's severely mentally ill and may need medication and therapy and not a, an exorcist, please talk about blowing up these narratives out there, that these, these, these uh, you know, that basically, you know, the places like Hollywood, not just with the movie The Exorcist, but other kind of like offshoots of that, okay, where it feeds into this mes- misconception, no, the first, the church is the first to say, let's take a step back and let's investigate this, and then we'll move forward.
1: Yeah. So, you know, every about once a year, you'll hear about a tragic case in the news somewhere of somebody dying in essentially a a botched um, not exorcism where like a family member will try to do an exorcism on somebody that's mentally ill or has a medical problem and, and somebody tragically ends up dying. And that'll make a headline about once a year. And that's not what the church does, obviously. Centuries ago, the church figured out that you need to rule out the much more likely hypothesis that it's a medical problem or a psychiatric problem first. You don't just jump to, oh, this is one of those hyper rare four or five people in a a large city every year. It's one of these hyper rare cases and and I'll self-diagnose because this is weird to me and I'm telling you I'm possessed. We hear that all the time. Church figured out centuries ago, you have got to rule out the medical first. And so they require that you go and get that medical psychological evaluation. And that's not saying that the doctor has to diagnose the possession. That's not their competency. Their competency is medicine or psychology. Their job is to tell the church, well, this is a well-known thing that we understand these symptoms are whatever it is, schizophrenia is a common one. And it's treatable with these meds. And if that looks like the case, then we tell the person you've got to cooperate with treatment, let's see if that resolves it. And I've seen that many times, sadly. Person has a first psychotic break with schizophrenia. They're 100% convinced they're possessed because they're hearing voices. They insist up and down that we do an exorcism. And finally, in, in one case, it took more than a year and a half, finally, they listened and tried the medicine. Two weeks later, all the symptoms went away. They wrote us a long apology letter. I'm so sorry for you know, harassing you guys and haranguing you. You were right. I'm fine now, the medicine worked. So, and, and the other thing, Joe, it's not just, hey, we need to rule out the mundane first. You can do a lot of harm. If you're running around banging the drums saying, oh, demons are everywhere and possession accounts for all the mental illness and it's not actually mental illness, you know, you're all misunderstanding, that's a very dangerous idea because you tell somebody who's uh, maybe criminally insane that's having impulses to homicidality, you tell somebody like that, oh, it's demons. Uh that person might say, okay, the church told me it's demons. I don't need my medicine. Obviously, it's not psychiatric. I'm going to stop my meds. Then they stop their meds and now they're worse. And now they're even less likely to take meds and somebody gets hurt. Right. So th- there's potentially a lot of harm. It's not just a neglect thing. Um, so yeah, basically they got to go get evaluated. And then on top of that, it's not just, oh, okay, the doctor can't find anything. Now we'll just do an exorcism because you say so. That's not the case. Then you got to jump through another hoop, and that is we've got to prove that there's a possession. So it's quite a process. In some dioceses, it's, it's months, six months. I've heard of people going a year before they even start praying with them.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that, Adam.
2: Adam, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I have no background in this, none, and I was very skeptical. I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, It's no secret, Joe and I are brother-in-laws, and we're married to women who are Haitian-American. In their family, there have been uh, individuals that have been involved in the occult. I'm just going to be very honest with you. I have seen firsthand the effects of that. Recently, my wife read a book called Dominion by Father uh, Rippinger, I believe. You may be familiar with it. Talk about the authority a father has over a family if that father, say, was involved in the occult. And also the effect of a husband who has authority over the wife. When it comes to, obviously, you know... Like praying with them, um, because obviously a husband isn't an exorcist, but a husband has authority. Uh, Talk a little bit about that, because, again, I've seen this firsthand as a result of my extended family. I never, and I'll be honest, I was very skeptical. I don't come from that type of tradition. Um, I'm a crazy Italian guy from New Jersey. We have our own problems, but, but, but not yeah. that. So I could talk a little bit about that because I am now, my eyes are open to it. Um, because it's involved in my extended family.
1: Yeah. So what you said there touches on a number of things that we could unpack, but the, the idea with authority is one, it's, it's very real. So particularly the parents, um, both the mother and father but mainly the father scripturally has tremendous authority over the child until they're what's called of the age of reason and that just means where you your mind is developed enough you can start choosing for yourself and canon law puts that at age seven for most people uh, it can be a little earlier a little later for that particular person but the law says seven so think about it do we ask a, a newborn baby if they want to be baptized hey, do you wanna be baptized? We don't bother asking them because they're a newborn baby. They they can't understand our words, they can't respond, yet uh, the parents can choose for them and baptize them and it's spiritually binding. So that's a clue that parental authority is very real in the spiritual. Now, just like you can choose the good and choose that baptism, a parent could choose to consign their child to basically the dark side, to, to some, some sham that the evil spirits are putting forward in whatever system the person's in. So they can essentially curse their child just like they could bless them through having the baptism done. And that authority is is basically complete up until that time that the child can start choosing. Now, interestingly, what I've seen um, is that God... Even if even if the cards are stacked against them in that way, God limits the activity of the demon that is there until the person chooses the sin that that demon's associated with later in life. And I saw this play out once with somebody who was 26. They had never had a single problem their entire life. They were a devout Catholic, very sweet person, and away to college and in the dorms and friends were playing with tarot cards and they were doing it very kind of amateurly with their little book and looking up what the cards mean and this person had been raised on the knee of a relative who was the local card reader in their village in South America and was also the local witch that would grew up potions and do spells for people, but also did this divination. So they grew up seeing it, but they never did, never touched the cards. So here they are in the States of 26. For the first time in their life, they agree to read the cards for their friends. That night they go from zero to full possessed. So the demon was held at bay, And in fact, at the diagnostic prayer session, it manifested and started complaining to us and ranting about the stupid witch that put it in her, but it couldn't touch her or lift a finger for 26 years. And it just had to watch her be so sweet and Catholic and kind to everybody, which drove it crazy. So that's an example of how it can play out where God doesn't, in in his mercy, doesn't allow the real impact of the parental choice because that's unfair to the child until the child can choose so there's a lot of authority there but it touched this this case touches on the idea which is critical for you and your listeners and that is that the demon isn't running free doing what it wants to do it has to get permission just like in the book of job and it's worth rereading that story for everybody it has to get permission from god to do what it does and in order to get permission it needs to have a claim or a request based on real free will choices. So that's a long answer to your question, but basically parental authority, the husband's authority can have a big impact, but also just having sex with somebody can have a big impact. When you have sex, we know scripturally two people become one. And so what I've seen is it forms a bridge over which the spiritual baggage and that person that you're having sex with can come to you because you are consenting to become one with them spiritually. And when you do that outside of the matrimony, which is kind of a safe container for that union, that's been blessed and sanctified by God, you do it randomly, you're just accepting whatever baggage that person has. And we've had cases where the bulk of the spiritual harm was done through the sexual union.
0: Adam Bly, thank you for that. Adam Bly is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we're discussing The Exorcism Files, his recent book, subtitled, True Stories of Demonic Possession. Adam, real quick, before I forget, I'll give you another opportunity. Where could folks out there buy the book?
1: Um, you know, they can go to Sophia Institute Press or the publisher. Um, of course, Amazon's easy for people. I've got a link to it on my website, religiousdemonology.com. If they want an easy link, uh, save you the the searching in, in Amazon. But
0: yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. We always we always encourage our, our our you know those listening to us here at the front line with Joe and Joe Adam to support our Catholic publishers. So hope you don't mind. We're going to ask people don't go to Amazon. Buy it on yeah. Sophia and do press. Um Here's another thing along the lines of what I asked you earlier about misconceptions in Hollywood. Okay, Adam, I cannot tell you how many times. Um, you know, where I might've been talking to a, a coworker or a friend and talking about, you know, like, you know, I have a little bit of a problem with my back. Okay. And my, and my, and my hip and things like that. And they're like, oh, come on, dude, do yoga. And I'll just say, I'll say, well, no, I'm, I'm I, I, you know, I need a better solution than that. Cause I'm not doing yoga. Um, and they roll their eyes. I, and again, I'm not judging them, but it seems like they judge me when I do that. When I've done that in the past, and say, "No, I'm not doing yoga." Oh, why? Is it because you're Catholic? Yeah, yeah, I'm not. And I, I'm bringing this up for a reason, because you mentioned tarot cards. Okay, we mentioned the Exorcist earlier, and other words, at least in that story, the the girl was involved with um, with the uh, the Ouija boards. Okay, there's Reiki. There's martial arts um, that you know people don't realize. These are Look, if you even think about in your mind that that this is all real, that this stuff is real, okay, it's not just some something made up in the minds of people, okay, then there are gateways, there's doorways by which, but you mentioned earlier, by which the, the demonic can can you know take hold of a person and have an effect on a person. Talk about the everyday things that people just take for granted, like yoga, like reiki, like martial arts, and our need, at least as Catholics, to wake up Catholics out there to say, look, man. Don't do this stuff. Don't do it, okay, Uh,
1: because it can end badly for you. Can you talk about that a little bit, Adam? Yeah, sure, Joe. So I guess to start out, if you want an official statement, if you're Catholic and you're wondering, oh, has the church ever spoken on this, go ahead and Google Jesus Christ, the bearer of the water of life sometime and it's a vatican document and it was essentially a multi-year study of the new age and the new age practices including yoga and, and a whole bunch of things and then reiki by the way there's a there's a u.s bishops document on specifically just on reiki that kind of discounts that so it comes back to free will choices and when you're practicing these things like let's pick yoga so so at the first level it's problematic because It's essentially part of a religion. It's part of a spiritual approach to life in a system normally in India that's taken out of context and then fed to people as you know this exercise so that's a little bit weird because those are worship postures originally worship postures for Hindu gods where you would intone the name of the god over and over as a mantra that's kind of the original purpose of it so that's a little problematic for for a Christian Um, beyond that when you get into anything that involves energy manipulation trying to manipulate energy. And a lot of things you said there include that, right? So Reiki, energy manipulation, uh, a certain type of yoga, energy manipulation, uh, advanced martial arts, often they talk about chi and energy manipulation. So within yoga, and this is easy for people to find, so Kundalini yoga with and K, K-U-N, you'll find it, it's easy. Kundalini yoga is kind of the yoga that's more, focused on the spiritual side. And what's the goal of it? Their stated goal is to uh, awaken the Kundalini spirit. Well, what's that you might say? Well, they say it's a spirit of a serpent that lives at the base of every human spine. And that by practicing yoga, you can awaken this serpent and it will slowly move up your spine over the days, weeks, months, or years as you keep practicing yoga until it reaches the top of your head. At which point it'll call start causing what they call Kriyas, A-R-I-Y-A-S. And what are Kriyas? They're involuntary body motions and jerking motions and animal-like vocalizations you can't control. Well, even on on a non-religious level, that doesn't sound attractive to me. I Mm -hmm. I don't want to lose control of my body and be growling and barking. Um, And you can find videos of people on YouTube. Uh, talking about this and, and videos of their Kundalini awakening, and then a lot of people giving interviews saying they their lives were messed up for years afterwards, uh, psychological damage, emotional damage, all kinds of problems, and yet they say this is desirable. Um, so uh, th- there's real issues with it. I've actually had a case that came from martial arts, uh, Chinese martial. Not picking on China, uh, just happened to be Chinese martial arts um, using the sword. And it was actually the sword that they had practiced with for years that was, they were long past this, but it was stored in their attic. And that seemed to be what was causing the house case. And it was starting to affect their son who was being drawn to that spot under where it was in the attic and just would go into a trance and stand there. There was all kinds of problems going on in the house. So, you know, there's myriad examples, but essentially, again, uh, it's a first commandment issue which we kind of got to where you're turning to a spirit other than god and you're looking for that energy from that spirit to do things you know as human beings we don't have magic powers and so people cut deals with these spirits or they seek them in these veiled forms like reiki yoga martial arts to manipulate those spiritual energies to basically make themselves a god it all goes back to the garden of eden it's the same thing you can be like god you can heal you have the power in you to to move it. That that Kundalini spirit is in you, and now you can use that. It's part of you. Um, you know the martial arts. You can extend energy out into the world from yourself in this semi magical way. So mm. it's it's all the Garden of Eden, the whole New Age. It, it's essentially that.
0: Well, I wish Adam Bly that people would understand just how dangerous this stuff is. Uh, you know, it's not these are not just innocuous activities because people will say, well, I I, I don't I don't uh, get involved in the religion. And I tried to explain to people, not not very successfully. From what I know, I'm just you know, superficially, I would tell them, look, there is religion, Eastern religion and practices involved with yoga. Really good idea. Go find a nice Catholic therapist, okay? And they'll stretch out your body real good. You don't need to do that. So a little bit, let's let's move on from there. Adam Blige joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh we have a few minutes before the uh before the break. Joe Rasinello, where do you want to head?
2: And um, let's talk about spirituality that like twists Catholicism. We see this. We mentioned in Haiti, there's Voodoo. Um, I grew up with a lot of guys who were Cuban, Santeria. I can remember my my friend talking about his grandmother, who would put a glass of water under his bed um which is like i I mean i I don't know where that comes from but i remember him mentioning that to me it's it's also in uh the mexican culture you have the day of the dead which has become like you know you see that with those skulls and and talk about hey hey joe real quick remember even even amongst when we were
0: growing up with italians you know when you had your 1983 monte carlo and you had the horn the horns hanging from, no, I'm sure. not, I'm not, every Italian kid had the, had the horns. We didn't sure. realize it.
2: Sure, you know, I think I even had like the, a, a, the rearview mirror. A, 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 what's it called? A horn Did that made that my that neck turn green, green Carlo, when I was by the like way? 10. But uh, yeah, I mean, these are like, the, it comes from Catholicism, but it's a twist. You know what I mean? Talk about that because I think people look at this as it's innocent, but it's not.
1: Yeah, so the technical term for that is syncretism. And that's when the local kind of indigenous culture, the local superstitions are blended. And sometimes it's the local religion will be blended with Catholicism. Um, And, and yeah, that, you know, in being at various meetings with exorcists from parts of the country that have a, a strong culture like that coming in like um down by the border with Mexico a lot of the states that border uh Mexico there's there's more of this though so even here in Pittsburgh we we've got the the candles in in the local grocery store you know quarter mile away with uh, the Lady Death on the candles right next to the candles with Jesus and Mary. So we we've got these cults coming in all over. So syncretism is when you blend those two things together, you blend those superstitions like the the horn thing. Um, you know, people would bring those horns to Catholic priests and ask them to bless them, and and it's actually you know coming from more of a superstitious thing, and and priests generally will not bless them because that's that's not an appropriate symbol, and you know, and it ends up touching on like the folk stuff, like the the glass of water under the bed, you're you're kind of doing these superstitions or like the burying the statue of Saint Joseph, which maybe some people are okay with that when you're trying to sell your house. It's like, it's it's like okay, that's a little weird. It kind of seems okay because it's a statue of Saint Joseph, but it also seems a little weird. Why would you bury a statue? And and so you'll get these things and and like the horn, like it's not a pentagram, it's not something obviously evil, but it's a little problematic. And you're kind of scratching your head, like, well, well, what is that all about? You know, it's not a saint, it's not the cross, it's not Mary, it's not Jesus. Well, what does it represent? And so these things, when when they're more full-blown, like there's a lot of there's a lot of places where people call themselves Catholic. They go to church, but when they have a problem, they go to the local brujeria and, you know, get a spell done. Or if they feel that that their illness is a curse that somebody put on them, they'll go to to the local occultists and do something for a counter-curse, you know, to break that. And yet they're going to church every week and they're they're saying they're Catholic and, and they're totally comfortable with that. And, and that happens all over the world. And and as you know, as the main religion is there, the previous, um not necessarily previous, but maybe the you know these lesser strains of of spiritual life stay on. And so the church is always trying to address these kind of superstitions and syncretisms and some of them are darker um you know uh, uh you you mentioned santeria, you know that that gets pretty dark, you know, and and the goal mm-hmm. there is to become possessed by these orisha, these these spirits and Adam we
0: we have to yeah. take a break real quick. I'm sorry to cut you off. We're just no, going to take no, a quick break. We're going to come back. We'll, do, we'll keep it going on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. We have Adam Bly, um, and we're discussing his new book, The Exorcism Files, True Stories of Demonic Possession. We would emphasize to buy the book and do so at Sophia Institute Press. Stick around. This is a fascinating conversation, and we have a whole other segment on the other side of the break with Adam Bly. We'll be right back.
1: Where there's Catholic radio.
2: The folks who listen deep in their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pacillo and Joe Racinello. And we are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, and we are discussing The Exorcism Files, True Stories of Demonic Possession. We have the author, Adam Bly, with us here today. Um, let me, um, well, actually, let me kick it over to Joe Racinello and see where
2: he wants to go with this. I was just gonna say if you want to continue that that uh, line of uh discussion with regard to syncretism as well as santeria, I'm very interested in it. Because well, I, is- I think there's a lot of people that see it and subtly, and I think you know they accept it as if, as if like, oh, that's fine, but it's not.
0: And but and Adam, also if you can piggyback off that too, and and, and let our audience know that the Catholic Church you know in its history has always taken all the good in an individual you know let's say in an individual culture okay but always drew the line at things like this we don't do you know if you look at all the the the, the catholicism in the world all right it's manifest in a lot of different cultures a lot of different practices all of which are acceptable to the church except these things we're talking about right now okay um so just kind of touch on that too please
1: yeah like for instance um Well, okay. Let's let's get to the core of it because that's important. So the core of the problem, in my opinion, at least when it when it comes to serious serious problems, is first commandment violations. So it's real simple. The first commandment is don't have any other gods before me. And when when they asked Jesus, you know, what's what's the what's the most important commandment? He said, love God completely. You know, with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul. Um, When you turn to these other systems, you're telling God. I don't trust you, I don't trust your word, I'm not trusting your church, I'm not gonna wait on your providence, I'm gonna get what I want right now through this person who claims to be able to do it for me or this spiritual system that will give me what I want now. And so when we turn to something other than the creator, we turn to a created spirit or a superstition for comfort, information or power in whatever form that is it could be comfort through healing it could be comfort through thinking you're you're stopping a curse um could be comfort about the afterlife i'm going to go to the psychic and and i'm going to have comfort that there's an afterlife Mm -hmm. i've uh i'm bereaved i lost somebody i loved i want to you know hear them one last time or tell them i love them i'm seeking that comfort when you're breaking the first commandment by turning to these other systems well that's the definition of mortal sin, right? Is a, is a knowing breaking of one of the 10 commandments. So that's why it's a big deal. And that's where the church, I think, draws the line usually is, well, okay, that's fine to have this kind of traditional thing in your culture, as long as it doesn't turn you from the creator to these created beings. You know, you mentioned the day of the dead, to a large extent, the day of the dead was kind of enfolded in the idea of the poor souls and the and the you know the day that we would pray for the poor souls each year so that's that's really what that has been rolled into for the most part and for the most part that's okay though though you know if you go down and, and you were to talk with a bishop down there there's probably some areas of the day of the dead that cross over into areas that aren't so good and acceptable I'm not saying the day of the dead is completely acceptable but it's an example of where syncretism where it kind of maps a little bit. There's some overlap there with the idea of the poor souls and that we need to remember the dead and pray for them, right? But there's other things that don't overlap at all, like turning to a person uh, like a psychic medium to talk to the dead, which is what? Talking to the dead, well, now we're in a completely different area. And when we do that, it's necromancy, which the Bible defines as calling the dead to talk to them what does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like, oh, if there's a ghost here, could you give us a sign of your presence? It's every paranormal TV show. So our TV shows are celebrating essentially a modernized form of necromancy and making it palatable, making it attractive and, and seemingly harmless to a whole generation. And we're not really catechizing or preaching about first commandment violations for the most part in the church, because most people are either embarrassed to talk about the real manifest spiritual world, or they feel they're going to be mocked for it, or people aren't going to like hearing about that because they don't want to hear about scary things. And so while we're not teaching about it, this the screen, which is now the catechist for, for most people, uh, is teaching them that it's fine. And so this syncretism creeps in, and it, it, it moves over these lines. You know, the idea of talking to the dead or, or a medium or ghosts is universal. So there's syncretism with the idea of ghosts everywhere. Well, the church says, yeah, there can be a ghost if it's a poor soul in purgatory petitioning for prayer. But it's very clear that any dialogue, well, that's forbidden. So we have many saints that have said they've seen somebody in their order died and appeared and said, you know, I'm in purgatory, I need 10 masses stat, get on it quick, get me out of here. And they do the masses, they see them one last time, there's no more words, they just see them in a glorified state and they know it's over. So we have lots of those stories, but that's very different than the ghost who just hangs around in the house talking to ghost hunters, you know, 500 times a year for the next 10 years. Well, that's not a poor soul poor souls aren't going to draw you into violating the first commandment Mm -hmm. right and so god's not going to have a poor soul manifesting in a way that's going to do harm to the person the most common places that are haunted in my experience by real poor souls are rectories and churches and convents Mm -hmm. because there's people there that are equipped to respond properly and so god allows the manifestation
2: that was documented in faustina's uh diary actually uh about nuns that appeared to her that said please pray for me it's actually scary to be honest with you because it makes you think made me think these are nuns and they're suffering in purgatory uh think about the rest of us who aren't nuns (laughs) you know what i'm saying who aren't living makes you think
0: yeah. Adam Bly joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rasinello, way in the breach. We're discussing Adam's new book, The Exorcism Files, True Stories of Demonic Possession. Um, and I'm glad you got into all that, Adam, because like I said, you know, there's you know, Joe mentioned authority, authority in the family, fathers that need to make exercise that authority over their families. And one of one of the ways we do it is no, nah, not everything on TV is some, you know, just innocuous fluff, you know, that, oh, that's just the story. No, some of it is by design meant to bring you in a different direction let's let's be charitable all right and, and try to you know lead you to think that certain things are are, are just they're just harmless say so, you know they were they, they, they can't do you any harm they could do you a tremendous amount of harm now I'm going to segue from there I want to get into um the connection between violent crime and a lot of what we're talking about here today all right. So Jesse Romero. I mean, you know, Jesse, um, mm-hmm. we've interviewed him a number of times. He, so he's retired law enforcement. He was with the sheriff's office in in uh, in Los Angeles. And he told us some some spine tingling stuff. OK, now this was his own experience. OK, but he would tell us about, you know, like uh, Richard Ramirez, uh, the serial killer, his interaction with him. Um, wouldn't use wouldn't say the name of Jesus would not couldn't. say Jesus, couldn't say it. Jesse offered him his 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 meal, that the guards got a lot better meal than the prisoners did, all right? And Richard Ramirez said, yeah, yeah, I'd love the meal. Jesse said to him, say Jesus is Lord. He couldn't do it, okay? Um, now, this is a guy who killed a number of people, and there's other stories like that. What is the connection between um, <clears throat> the demonic, the occult, and violent crime?
1: Well, <clears throat> you know, Joe, I... I- worked in the Pennsylvania prison system as a psychological services specialist, uh two different prisons, total of about five and a half years. um so i had a I have a good amount of experience working with with criminals and I've had um, two ser- serial killer clients that I worked with you know for more than a year uh, and got to know very well uh, essentially being their therapist. So yeah, boy it's a it's a huge can of worms but um i would say that in the one case i one serial killer that i had he was raised in a very dark occult religion in a different country um knew explicitly that he was working with demons and was doing black magic and continues to be a proponent of it um he was a pretty scary person um pretty Very serious, very serious situation there now with him because he was involved in black magic you would and and i've saw some things with him looking back on it, you know it was pretty clear, he was possessed. So that that would be one data point where it's like okay that's pretty pretty easy and pretty clear, Uh, I had a. I had a couple guys where I would have them do drawings or artwork. Uh, especially if they had really low insight into themselves, they were, they had trouble expressing themselves. Sometimes it would come out through art. And there was a guy I liked, he was a lifer, he was in for murder one um, and we got along well. He he couldn't remember the crime at all. He does no memory of that night. So he remembers partying and then he remembers the next morning it's daylight and the cops are taking him away and he didn't know if he did it or not. Um, and he did this artwork and he kind of did a street scene in a city and he, there was like smoke from a crack pipe or something. And then in the midst of the smoke, there was like a little opening in the, in the, in the artwork with an eye looking through it. And he said, he said, I've always just kind of felt there was something else behind it all. There was something else watching. There was something else pushing, uh, me to do these things and and this lifestyle and and he didn't really have any deeper insight than that so there would be these little cracks that would show in the different cases that would indicate that there was a spiritual force for some of these guys that was influencing them watching them that they had an intuition about but they didn't they couldn't really explain it Uh, I had one guy on his deathbed in a prison hospital where I was the psych for the hospital and He was dying. He was maybe days or weeks from dying. And he was in a hospital bed. He was pretty, pretty messed up, pretty, you know, couldn't really move. And he said that he had been possessed since he was uh, a young teen. His mother was involved in black magic. His mother was a drug addict. And he had been possessed all these decades. And I said, do you want help, you know, before you go? And it was interesting. He lifted his one hand, his left hand, like a puppet and and had it look it looked at me and looked at him and it it shook no as if he was moving a puppet's head like no you don't want help or no you can't ask for help um spiritual help of course is what i meant so i mean there's been some cracks in that but i would also say that not every not every criminal is is influenced by demons sometimes it's just the temptation you know we're we're tempted from cradle to grave that's part of life god allows it because that's how we spiritually mature and get stronger because we need something to struggle with that's fine and all those guys in prison are tempted but they're not all possessed and and uh, i don't i wouldn't want people to think like oh you know i heard on the radio that because you you know did this robbery you're possessed um and, and the devil made me do it yeah, the devil made me do it. And, and you know, that's a big defense uh, in some people's minds. The courts have not really accepted that defense, um, you know, and and, and I've, I'm very aware of some of those court cases because uh, I've been asked to look at them. So, yeah, it, it's not that the devil made me do it. It's not that, oh, I'm possessed and so I'm not responsible for this crime. Uh, when it comes to your choices, you're responsible for your choices. Even the possessed person, when they're in their human state, is still responsible for their choices, and the demon can't take over their will. It can influence them a lot, but it can't push them to do something against their will. God doesn't allow the free will to be completely taken away from you. Now, during the exorcism, the demon switches in and takes over the body. That's different than the will. The person's still inside saying, I want to be free. This is horrible. I want it to stop. So the will is still opposing the demon. In possession, the demon can just take over the body. But I've not seen cases where or heard of cases where the demon takes over and does the crime. That seems very unjust and unfair, and I don't think God allows it. Um, and, and yeah, you know, so I think there's a role certainly with temptation when people are playing around with black magic, Satanism, the occult, um, which is pretty common in prison. You know, there, there's versions of Satanism that are veiled behind certain other religions that are more acceptable that the the guys know the institution will let them formally practice. Um, so there's some dark stuff in there for sure, but it's not the devil made me do it.
0: Mm. Adam Bly joining us the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rusanello, Joe Rusanello, where do you want to go?
2: Well, I want to talk about the devil is real. Cause he is, I mean, Hollywood made that movie. I think it was called the usual suspects, Joe, with uh, one of the Baldwin brothers Sizer. So, uh, Kaiser Sosa, there you yeah. go. There you go. And I guess like the theme of that was, um, you know, the devil's greatest weapon is he doesn't exist, but he does. And I, Please emphasize to people that there is a supernatural enemy that is fighting for your soul against you in this. uh, There is a battle inside of us, and that is very real. Sin is real. Hell is real. The devil is real. And I'm glad you said this before, Adam, because you're right. People will laugh at that. You know, like, like to be honest with you, I, and I, being a Catholic, was naive to a lot of this and didn't even buy into it. I almost like pushed it aside. But that's, it's real. That is real. Talk about the need for the church to teach you. You touched on that a little bit. And also for people to understand, there is an enemy that is pursuing you just as God is pursuing you.
1: Yeah, Joe. So it, it goes back to, we'll pick up, we had a thread we left a little earlier with the idea that the church requires an outside medical examination. And I mentioned beyond that, you have to prove that there's a possession. So how does the church say, you can prove there's a possession? And that touches on whether this is real. So the classic signs of possession down through the centuries are facility or knowledge of all languages, knowing secrets, hidden things the person couldn't possibly know, detecting the holy, and supernatural strength or what's called strength beyond their condition in life so tell me joe does schizophrenia make you suddenly fluent in ancient greek Hmm. no i don't even Uh, speak
2: english adam I'm from new jersey
1: (laughs) does you know does does epilepsy cause you to suddenly know somebody's secret sins from earlier in life that the person was maybe alone and nobody was even in the room nobody even saw it and yet this person is spouting your your secret sins to the room, which by the way, footnote, sins that have been confessed sacramentally are off the table. The demon's not allowed to bring them up or hold them against the person. Um, Power of confession. So the third one, detecting the holy, you can line up 10 bottles of, of water from the store. And one of them was blessed in the other room by the priest. The possessed person could pick out the one blessed bottle every single time because they can tell. I've had them uh, name the saint whose relic is in my pocket that I didn't mention to anybody I was bringing that day. Uh, We've had them mention with the St. Benedict medals. Somebody has one in their pocket and they'll say something like, oh, I see you have your spiritual armor on today. They'll make some reference to the St. Benedict medal. Um, Brain tumors don't make you suddenly be able to detect holy things. All right. The languages is the easiest one, and this is the example I always use because it was a striking example. There was a woman raised on a farm um, here in the middle of Pennsylvania, high school education, only spoke English, never traveled really, not certainly not internationally. They were interrogated in English, French, Latin, Lithuanian, and German, and responded properly to all the all the languages. Um, we've even. Yeah, we, we've, we had one that was writing in Icelandic. This was a, a person in Oklahoma. The spirit was responding to the questions by writing as opposed to speaking. It was writing in Icelandic, but it was writing in a dialect from 600 years ago. Luckily, I had a friend on the Internet who lives in Iceland who knows their language well, and I sent over the image of the writing to them, and they said, yeah, this is Icelandic, but we don't speak this way anymore. The grammar's wrong. And I said, well, how's it wrong? They said, well, this would be kind of the way it would be written in in their version of the Middle Ages. So they would say, you know, this is about six or seven hundred years ago, we would write like this. Now, how does a person in Oklahoma know how to write in one of the most obscure languages on the planet in a grammar from 600 years ago properly? So so the church uses these signs. Now, all the signs don't have to be there, but two or three generally are. So the most common one is languages. You can ask them questions in other languages once you're sure they don't know them, of course. Um, And then the the demon will often reveal hidden knowledge on its own spontaneously as a way to mock or denigrate or freak out people that are present. Uh, Detecting the holy is a good one. There's lots of ways to test that. For instance, you could, uh, before the person arrives, let's say you're meeting in a classroom, you're gonna use just to have a private room to sit in can priest can go around and bless every chair in the room and leave one chair unblessed and leave it off in the corner in a really awkward place. And all the other chairs are kind of in the middle of the room, the obvious place to sit. Person will come in and say, I don't really like any of these chairs. And they will go over to the corner and pick the, the one in the room that isn't blessed and drag that up to and sit down on that. Um, and then supernatural strength, basically, be it's not really supernatural. When you say that, that means above nature, that's only God. Preternatural strength. Um, sure you can get a burst of adrenaline and, and in psychi- inpatient psychiatric or in the prisons we saw that you can get a burst of amazing strength for a few seconds but with the with these things two or three hours later they're still in the throwing the men around the room like rag dolls um, and everybody's exhausted and their, their arms are quivering from the strain and the person hasn't like they don't bat an eye it never slows down um but that's the weakest of the signs I would say is the strength. So those are kind of the proofs of possession that the church has figured out through the centuries that, that we need. So it's beyond the person rolls around on the floor and growls and says, they think they're possessed. That's not enough. We need to see objective things that cannot be explained. Well, that's why
0: I'm glad you're bringing that up, Adam Bly, because, you know, people need to understand, again, you use the words investigation, investigating the facts of a particular case i hate it i hate it adam when when what what the church does particularly in regards to let's say in this case of let's say exorcism well well that's just superstition and everything you're describing is the opposite of superstition it's investigating the facts see what's going on like yeah yeah some 16 year old girl all right from albuquerque does not know how to speak fluent latin sorry all right. So it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not the case. You no, know, we so we are the first ones, the church, the first ones. I'd like to tell all the Sam Harris's of the world and people like that. No, 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 this stuff is real. And you know why we know it's real? Because the church investigates these cases before moving forward. I'm sorry to get so animated, but it just bothers me. It bothers me beyond belief. Um, when, uh, when, when people do that, Adam Bly, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we probably have about seven or eight minutes left. I know we want to get to a couple of questions. I have a quick question. Um, and, uh, briefly, um, we know there's a lot of holy lay people out there. Okay, uh, very holy lay people. Okay, the devil couldn't even come near them. Okay, because that's how that's how holy they are. Okay, but they're not. They they don't have the uh, authority to perform an exorcism. Okay, that is only the priest with the bishop's permission. Why is that?
1: Okay, really great thing to close on. So the the core of the bottom line is lay people can't do exorcisms, they shouldn't do exorcisms. In the charismatic, mainly in the charismatic world, uh, charismatic Christians, charismatic Catholics, there's been a trend of wanting to lay hands on people and tell demons to leave that person during prayer sessions. When you say, oh Jesus, please free this person, you're praying for them. Okay, I can say, Jesus, please help my father. He's sick. I can say, Jesus, please help that person they're possessed. Lord, please do it. I'm making a request to God, and then Jesus is taking care of it in whatever way he decides to respond to that prayer. May or may not happen, but he's doing it. The fight's between him and the creature, and there's no fight, obviously. He created them. They're they're nothing to him, right? So that's deprecatory prayer. It's a request. Imprecatory prayer is a command. When I say, in the name of Jesus, leave my father, now I'm not saying, Lord, you do it. I'm directly challenging it. So if I if I came up to you in a bar and slapped you and said, you owe me money, give me a thousand dollars. I've personally challenged you and I've pushed you. And is it not reasonable for you to respond? Socially reasonable for you to say, get away from me, you maniac, what are you doing? I might even get pushed, I might get hit nobody would be too surprised at that because I've challenged you, right? And I struck you. So when you do imprecatory prayer in the name of Jesus, get out, you're saying, hey, let's go to a demon. You're personally challenging it. Now, what did the church figure out over a thousand years ago? You want the weight of the church and Jesus's authority behind that command. And that authority is reserved uh, primarily to the apostles Those are the ones he gave the full authority over evil spirits. Yes, the 72 disciples had some, but the full authority was with the apostles. So when the priest goes in there and he says, in the name of Jesus, get out, it's not just the priest speaking, it's the bishop speaking, the bishop's authority delegated to the priest. So an apostle is saying... In the name of Jesus, get out. And because it's an apostle, it carries Jesus's authority. Now, ultimately, it's not just us invoking Jesus and the power suddenly rises up in the priest and it happens. No, Jesus is actually doing it. Just yesterday, we were doing exorcisms. We do them every Friday. Towards the end of one of the sessions, we're having difficulty getting one out for that day. And by the way, six months to two years of of exorcisms, it's not Hollywood in 10 minutes, it's over. Some people are freed quicker lots of demons in there to get out towards the end of the session we're having a difficulty we had an image of divine mercy right from sister faustina who we mentioned earlier held that up in front of the person's face the demons all active and upset took their hand and placed it on the divine mercy they could still see the face of jesus in the image and then i asked the person not the demon the person so-and-so would you ask Jesus to please cast this demon out so you can have some relief this week? Because we were getting towards the end of the session. They had their hand on it. They were trying to pull their hand off. We were keeping the hand there. Wasn't the person, the demon was trying to pull the hand off. And they said, Jesus, please, would you free me of this demon this week? And it turned to me and said, I hate you so much. If it's the last thing I do, I'm gonna gonna kill you. We get death threats all the time, don't worry about it. And then Jesus cast it out. It wasn't even under order at that moment from anybody in the room. She asked Jesus to cast it out, and the demon was expelled. It's just a way to emphasize that it's Jesus doing all this, right? It's not power in people. It's power flowing through people because Jesus chooses to say, get out. And ultimately, it's him doing it. So the church figured all this out a long, long time ago lay people my advice is pray for the person don't touch them don't hold your hands over them and pretend to be a priest you're not unless you're ordained your hands aren't consecrated and by the way joe if you let somebody lay hands on you and pray that isn't a priest you accept whatever spiritual baggage that person has because you are submitting to their spiritual authority Mm -hmm. you're saying please pray over me i'm submitting to you if that person is demonized those spirits can then come to you because you've put yourself under their authority. When a priest prays over you, they're praying as a priest, Jesus Christ, a priest of the church, the individual person, Bob. So Father Bob's praying over you. It's Father who's praying over you. The priest of the church is praying over you. You're not submitting to Bob's authority. You're submitting to Father Bob's authority, therefore mm-hmm. to the church. So you don't get the baggage of his personal spiritual struggles. You see the difference.
0: Right. So mm-hmm. it's a
1: big, big deal when we let lay people pray over us in these ways and particularly if there's touch so if there's touch and prayer and a command that's the most dangerous and i've seen a possession arise from this where somebody did that to a possessed person they were a lay person and they went from zero to possess themselves
0: adam thank you for that i want to kick it over to joe we only have two minutes left i think joe wanted to go get into the need for the sacraments
2: Yeah. Ultimately, you said something like you're challenging the demon, a person who doesn't have authority. The devil is smarter than us and stronger than us. And he is real. But Jesus is stronger than him. And I fear nothing because God is with me because I'm in a state of grace. I go to confession, sometimes twice a month the devil is smarter than me, the devil is stronger than me, but God is stronger than him. Talk about the importance of being in a state of grace when it comes to approaching the demonic or if the demonic approaches you.
1: Adam, we only have about a minute left. Sure. So for a Catholic, guys, for a Catholic, deliverance comes through the sacraments primarily, right? So the Protestant approach is just prayer. For a Catholic, it is confession. Well, baptism first. Baptism, confession, the Mass. That's deliverance for the catholic 99 of the time the sacraments are incredibly important confession removes the hold the demon has on you that was gained through sin it's not necessarily possession could be lesser things confession is critical if you're not catholic if you're christian repent with jesus as best you can in your own way w- whatever your system does uh, but that is the primary place to go for deliverance to go for uh that spiritual growth, because ultimately it's conversion guys, the point of all of this being allowed by God is the conversion of people, for them to get closer to God, to realize the spiritual is real and turn away from the evil and turn back to God.
0: Adam Bly, thank you so
1: much for coming back on
0: the front line with Joe and Joe to discuss your book, The Exorcism Files, True Stories of, of Demonic Possession. Um, and everyone out there, you can buy the book, Sophia Institute Press. If you need to, you can get it on Amazon. We're going to allow you to do that because we want uh, Adam's book to get out there to the wider public. Adam, thanks for joining us here again. We really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. We want to thank you all out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial spreading the truth of the Catholic faith of the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app, Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, and share it with your friends. And finally, follow Joe and I, if you, if you would, on social media at The Frontline TV, The Frontline TV on YouTube. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere.
2: We'll talk to you soon.